Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Robert Baharian and this is Masters in Investing. They say life never stops teaching and we never stop learning. This show is my exploration with investors to both understand and unpack what is going on in markets right now and what this means for business and for investors. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us an awesome review. Let's get into it. My guests today were John and Joseph of J2 Projects based here in Melbourne. The guys are running a project management firm uh, looking after residential, commercial and, and hotel development. The guys have made a really big name for themselves over the last three and a half years, only having established the business at the back end of 2017. We talk about what inspires you to set up your own business, how to uh, remain patient, disciplined, how to uh, inspire your staff, give them the opportunity to grow and to succeed in their own right whilst maintaining the company vision. We talk about what's going on in the project uh, property development space. We talk about what's uh, new from a pre and post COVID world. And we talk about what limitations that has caused and created for development and what it means for uh, materials, products, and the impact that has on cost of labor, uh, and etc. Hope you enjoy my conversation here with the boys today. Robert Baharian is the founder and CEO of Baharian Wealth Management, AFSL 526798. The information contained in this podcast may include general advice and does not consider your particular circumstances. You should seek advice from a registered financial advisor who can consider if the general advice is right for you. Joseph Polymeni, John Babs. I've got the two J's from J2 Projects here with me. Boys, thank you for joining me today on Masters in Investing. G'day, Rob. Thanks for having us, mate. Excellent. Now, what do you actually do? What does J2 Projects actually do? Uh, Look, I'll I'll kick it off, John. Mm -hmm. Um, I think simplistically what we do is we provide, we're the Panadol for our, our clients on their developments, property developments. Um, and it's very, it's very akin to uh, an orchestra where you've got the various sections of instrumentals and whatnot and we're the conductor trying to make sure that it makes beautiful music. Um, so, you know, we, we are collating all the various kit of parts, design team, various consultants. And do um, you put them together or... Do your clients come to you with their experts in a certain area, whether it's their architect, they want you to use their architect, or how does that work? Yeah, look, it's um, it, it depends really. So we've got um, we've got scenarios where we've got clients who have already a, a consultant team on board, um, and they need uh, financing in place and. The department of um, the credit risk at, at finance has said, well, look, you know, you need to mitigate your risk. Um, why don't you speak to J2 Projects to assist you with the time, cost, quality aspect? Right. And then you come in and do what? We come in and, and effectively manage the, the development on, on their behalf. So we manage those those three elements. Um, and it's um, it's important really because the, the, the financier won't release the funds until they get a level of comfort that the project is is going relatively smoothly um so you know we're always um presenting in front of you know financiers and whatnot and so do you almost sort of pitch the deal to them pitch the deal but we're also um 
be, becoming the client, would you say, John? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, you know, conversely, there's there's also um, projects where, you know, clients or prospective clients will come to us and, you know, they'll say, I've got a site, I've purchased a site, or I'm thinking of purchasing this site. Um, we need to do some due diligence. We need to run a feasibility um, to see, obviously, if it stacks up. So in, in that case, is we, we can come on and, and assist where, you know, have a look at the site, the parameters. We, we may go to an architect, um, get some planning advice, get get a scheme um, drawn up, and then we'll obviously run a feasibility and put some numbers to it. Um, so you know we, we can come on from that early sort of stage, and we sort of call that originating um, a mm. project. Do you charge like, for that work? Well, it depends. Like you know, I think if it's a you know a, a, back, a back of envelope sort of um, feasibility, high level, mm. um, we wouldn't um, and. Conversely, if it's for an existing client, um, we wouldn't either. But, you know, if we do need to do some further work where, sure. you know, we need to delve into, you know, um, the on-site conditions or in-ground conditions, we may have to even get, you know, some geotech done on the site, get some piling to understand what our in-ground conditions are like. Um, then potentially, obviously, we will charge. And obviously, there's also additional costs from other consultants that we may need to bring on board in order to obviously put a report together um, to assist. And what type of projects are you guys doing? Is it just resi? Is it like what are you, what are you guys doing? What are you, what are you working on at the moment? Yeah, so um, you know we we you know our, our business is about three and a half year old. Um, so when when we started our business, um, it was just myself and Joseph um, in an office, pretty much the size of the one that we're sitting in right now. Um, and you know. We had we had the experience of the larger projects, but you know, starting out, we weren't going to be winning projects like that. Um, so we were doing much smaller projects. You know, we were doing dual locks and three townhouses and four mm-hmm. townhouses. Because um, as you know, Rob, when you're starting a business, um, it's just about you know getting the money through the door and um, boosting the cash flow, um, so that obviously you can then build a team and then be able to obviously target those larger projects. Um, but now, obviously, three and a half years in, um, you know, we've got a team of nine. Um, and you know we're doing those those larger projects. You know, so we'll look at you know your medium density townhouse projects. You know, twenty townhouses and up, um, multi res. So anything from ten apartments up to mm. you know eighty to one hundred apartments. Um, hotel projects. So we've got a couple of hotel projects in the books at the moment. Three actually. Um, you know, we've done some industrial, um, done some commercial, some fit out. Um, we're doing a commercial tower at the moment in South Yarra. Uh, so you know, a bit, I guess it's a bit of everything. What gives you the biggest kick? Like, what makes you really happy to do the work? I mean, I'm sure all of it is, but like, what what's the thing that you could love to do every day? I think for us, I mean, we're we're both very passionate um, about what we do, and we're and we're hungry. Um, so I think it's I think it's all about I think having your own business, even work. I think it's about loving what you do. So you know, waking up every morning and being happy, you know, going to your workplace. Um, so we actually feel like it's not work, and I guess. With us, what we like to see is, is seeing, you know, whether it's a um, we've put a scheme together on a site and then seeing it two, three years later built, mm. like you know, seeing it from drawings um, and then being developed into a large tower, mm. like that. That's we we get a kick out of that. What what hotels are you working on at the moment? Um, so we currently got um, one in construction at the moment, um, which is in West Melbourne. So that's the Courtyard by Marriott. Mm. Um, that's the brand. Um, obviously, operators Marriott. Mm. Um, so we're looking to complete that probably in the next six to nine months. Um, opening Q1 next year. Um, got another one in Hawthorne, um, which I don't think we can um, disclose the name sure. of that one yet. Um, and there's actually another one in uh, the Gold Coast, similar situation, very early phases, um, and that's in DA at the moment. Yeah, so. 
Yeah, yeah. And so you're three and a half years in, and from the whispers that I get and I hear is that you guys are doing quite well. Um, why is that? What's happened that's allowed you to become so successful in what you do? You're starting to make a name for yourself uh, as well, and it appears as though you're being able to pick up uh, some of these larger projects mm. where you know you're doing three years ago you're doing dual lock uh, townhouses to building hotels that are managed by the Marriott. Yeah, like like how, how did that happen? I think just being um, very clear on clear on what uh, it's just a no bullshit approach. So when we when we're pitching uh, in front of clients, we create an instant rapport. I don't know what it is, but but we we just. We're very good listeners. We pick up on their scenario um, and we try and plug in the gap of what they're missing. Um, and um, it's just providing that value add constantly. And if we can ident- highlight that to them on the early onset, then um, we're, we're up against the bigger guys, but it's just a no-frills approach. Um, and it's you know our branding, our whole sort of you know, sort of um, approach is just to provide clarity constantly, um, and and that's and that's what we instill with. How important is brand in your line of work and in your business? I think it's very important um, because you know when when we're we're currently going through rebrand at the moment, but you know when we're there's going to be a J three. Well, potentially, no. Only J two R. It's um, but it's just. I think it's just. We're now sort of identifying now that the business is becoming a little bit more sophisticated. Mm. Um, the clients are becoming more sophisticated. Mm. Um, the sector of um, what we're playing in is a little bit more different. Um, and we've got to. What's know, different? It's uh, it's the 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 value of projects right. is a little bit higher. Uh, the complexity is a little bit higher. Um, the consultant teams and whatnot. So we we want to just make sure that. We're and what's right. happening in that in that industry? Is it a is it a um, is it a requirement by bodies? Is it clients wanting to do more and push the boundaries even further than? Oh, oh look, I mean, just to to answer your question about brand. I mean, what's important about brand is that look when we think of brands like I don't know Tesla or um, Apple. With Apple, we. Um, even um, some luxury, other luxury sure. brands, you just think of quality mm. um, and you think, yep, solid, um, you know, open the door, close the door. It's got that solid nature to it. Um, and, and that's what we're sort of trying to match and identify mm. and say, okay, well, look, you know, J2 Projects is, was this three years ago, but now we're coming, we're a little bit more mature, becoming more sophisticated um, and we're, we can play against the bigger firms, um, but we haven't got a big team. I guess, I mean, I, I guess going back to your question about why us, um, why we're different, I think, you know, we're, myself and Joseph are both pretty, um, you know, heavily involved in the projects. So we like to say, you know, when we're pitching that, we'll get director involvement. You know, we don't just, you know, pick up the project and then you know, hand it over to a junior project manager mm. to run. Um, Is that so, what normally happens in your game? Oh, to some degree, um, you know, but I think with us, we, we actually... Um, we, we love what we do. We love projects. We still love going out the site and doing claim walks, you know, um, doing site inspections, mm. you know, attending PCG meetings if you have to, you know. Go, PCG go, meeting? 
uh, project control group. So, you know, where, where you've got, like, you know, you've got a meeting with your builder, your client, mm. um, et cetera. You know, even if it's like we're going into a design meeting, we still, you know, we go to design meetings, although we've obviously got our project manager and assistant project manager running those, et cetera, we'll, we'll still go in there. Um, and I guess, you know, when, when we are pitching um, to new clients, I think they see, you know, the passion um, mm. and the love that we have for what we do. Um, you know, I guess, you know, we, we're hard working as well. You know, we've, we've both um, been brought up in small business. Um, you know, my, my parents were in the fish and chip game for about 42 years. So, you know, where my mates in primary school, they were on weekends riding their bikes around. I was in the fish and chip shop flipping burgers at the age of eight, right? So although illegal, um, I was working at that age, right? And, you know, I only literally um, finished up working in my parents' fish shop three years ago, which is when they retired and they sold it. So I was, you know, right up into my late 30s, I was working, you know, small business. You know, that, that's that's obviously how it works. Um, and conversely, obviously, Joseph's parents are a small business as well. So, you know, we, we've been brought up in that sort of, um, I guess... We've been raised that. Yeah. We've, we've, we've seen it. We've lived it. Correct. Um, so we've always had that business mindset. It's um, just being, I think, seeing our ambitions, John, you know, we just want to try and sort of be like them. That's right. You know, exactly. And, and that's where that ambition sort of is burning in our belly. Um, and we're like, well, you know, we've given, we've been provided with a lot, a lot of opportunity as, you know, growing up. And um, we've seen how hard they work and we want the same for our family now. So it's it's pretty gratifying to be honest. Yeah. And so J two has been running now for three and a half years. What were you guys doing before that? Um, so we're working for employ other other right. firms. Um, so we're working for a consulting firm before that. Um, um, so same line of work. Same line of work. Obviously, we're working we'll work for a developer. Then prior to that, we met at uh, Melbourne Airport, um, and it was all client side project management work. And um, we, when when John sort of sat next, so to did him, you just bump into him at the airport? Or no, you no, no. He, uh, he worked in the same. So John joined the company that I was working with um, at Melbourne Airport, and um, you know, back then it was twenty twelve, I think it was John. Um, and what was it about him that he sat down, Rob, and uh, he honestly, there with at that time when they when when the when the hierarchy had. Um, company we used to work for saw that enthusiasm and energy that just were like wolves to, to, to sheep and they said well how good is this we'll just load this person up with X amount of projects because at the time Melbourne Airport had multiple projects mm. running um, and they, they needed um, a lot of projects being managed um, and I, to which I turned to John and said uh, mate you want to turn that enthusiasm right down just be careful because uh, they'll load you up um, and we ended up sort of going for coffee and this and that, and we sort of really just uh, just, clicked. just clicked. You know, we're in the sort of same sort of mindset. Mm. Our families were, our wives were um, very similar, and um, you know, we just sort of uh, connected mm. um, and um, understood. So then, what 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 broke the camel's back for you to then move from being employed to then setting up your own company with? I presume with nothing, just the two of you, yep. and what's up here, uh, and what you know. What what was it that made that made you say, do you know what, let's do it? I think um, when troubleshooting scenarios and dealing with projects and dealing with various stakeholders, um, and having that um, 
that sort of uh, understanding and sensing of, okay, well, uh, an issue is going to arise. How do we best sort of negotiate it? How do we get the best out of people? Um, and how do we sort of bring everyone together and manage this project in a, in a positive way? That occurred constantly um, throughout my projects that mm. were delivered and, and what um, was, and John's as well. Um, and we just turned around to one another and, and we we're sitting down having a coffee at that red coffee pot in Virgin Terminal it was and we said, well, let's just, what about J2 projects? J2, John and Joseph. That was in 2012. It was. It was. That's when we registered the company. Um, and we had very little experience in the residential sector, but I think it was more so from a stakeholder management, you know, that, that sort of side, we were pretty strong with it. We knew the protocol and processes and structure, what to do and manage teams and whatnot. But um, we realised pretty soon that, you know, we needed a little bit more experience. And then for, for people listening who are wanting to invest in themselves and invest in their own businesses, what did you guys do from 2012 J2's been for three and a half years, so yep. 2018. Yep. 2000, in the 2017. 2017. Yep. So there's five years there that the idea was born and that was sparked. Mm -hmm. And then presumably you were doing something yep. during those five years. Yep. Like what were you guys, what were you guys doing? Uh, what helped you make J2 a success from the back end of 2017 and really hit the ground running? Yep. So I guess... Um, so, yeah, so obviously we, we met, we, we thought about this whole idea of J2, et cetera, at the airport and, you know, and then we're sort of thinking about it, you know, we're putting a business plan together and we're like, you know what, we actually haven't got much experience, like, you know, in, in you know, resi commercial space, you know, we only... Like, so you conceded that yourselves? Well, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I mean, prior to going client side at the airport, we were both working for large builders. So I was at Balderstone and Joseph was at Multiplex. That was obviously straight out of uni. So, you know, we moved up the ranks in the builder. We sort of each there five years each and then obviously going client side. And we're like, you know, we can start our own business, but we haven't got really a lot of experience like with the whole development life side with residential, commercial, right. etc. So we're sort of like, you know, we can start, but... I think we need to get that experience first. One and two, we need to get our networks. So how do we do that? So you know, I I, um, I left the airport probably in two thousand and thirteen, and then moved to a tier one um, project management consulting firm. And you know, during during that time was like thirteen to sixteen was obviously Boomtown with all the big towers, a lot mm, of money mm, out of China. Yeah, you know, we're selling like we're selling fifty to hundred apartments a week in these large towers. Um, so, you know, six, six months into that gig, there was a role going and um, Joseph came across and he also joined the same company right. um, that we're both at. Um, and, you know, and we're there for a good four and a half, five years. And during that time, you know, we learned that. We learned the whole development life cycle right from town planning yeah. through to settling up. We, we didn't really realise the magnitude of no, the we didn't. at the time. We didn't. And how were you able to, to, to keep focused and patient? Because what most people do is... They come up with an idea mm. and generally they want to execute it straight away. And yeah. you hear a lot of people and a lot of successful people talking about speed is important, how, how, how important speed is. Yeah. Um, five years is not, you know, it's not quick. It's, yeah. it's a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. How, how did you remain focused, patient and disciplined yeah. without then falling into the trap of let's just quit the job, we've got a yeah. business name, yeah. we've got a logo and off we go? I think it's... Um Ensuring that we've got the trapezium effect. So What's that? So, so it's effectively, so before we take the leap, take the swing and take the jump, we've got something that we can grab onto um, that's solid. So whilst we're delivering projects, um, we're understanding what the good and what the bad items of running a business were. Um, we're creating our network 
um, and building our network and building that well, digging that well. We didn't realise um, at the time when all these various sort of networks that we were creating and building would sort of assist us today. Um, but it's ensuring that, you know, yeah, I like this little snippet. What do you reckon about this, John? I like this. I like the way, you know, I like this company. Eventually, like this company uh, can do our branding or logo or they're good architects. Mm. They're a good client. What do you think? Um, so it was, you know, it was understanding, okay, well, who, which, which firms can we partner up with? Which can, it, you know, help us when we're eventually starting our own business? Um, so, you know, it's, it's creating that. So and more importantly, we had to deliver projects. So that comes with a lot of credibility. So when you deliver projects from literally from start to finish, then you can understand, okay, well, the whole life cycle of, okay, well, I've done this, I've done that. When you're talking to clients today, we still draw upon that experience. Well, we did that X amount of years. Um, and it's, it's about that wisdom that you can, you know, or experience that you can pass on to the client. Um, so I think I think that helped us in the end. And I guess um, you know the, the the beautiful thing about our relationship is although we're very similar, we're very different. How so, are you different? Well, I'm a risk taker and I've got no patience. Whereas Joe's more measured. So you know, I was always from 2012 to 2017. I probably told him over 50 times, "Are we going? What are we doing? What are we?" How did you keep him grounded? <laughs> I, um, I it was difficult at times. Um, but I think it's uh, I think it's just ensuring that yeah we just let's deliver projects let's let's create the network just I understand there's a vision we're going to enact on that but it's just ensuring that once we deliver you know we can we can we've got that notch in our belt to say hey look this is what we've done and to this day you know um, we always use one of John's um, notable projects in Docklands as you know we've delivered. John, we've delivered that uh, $230 odd million project on, you know, in, in the Docklands. It was a mixed-use development, hotel and residential. Um, and if, if we were to take the jump, and conversely with me, you know, if I were to take the jump earlier, I wouldn't be able to say that I was involved with X amount of boutique projects in around the Burbs in Melbourne. Um, and I think by just delivering those projects, you know, it, it created a lot of credibility for our business when we – literally took the leap of faith um, and when we're talking to clients um, it just that's we still draw upon that experience today um, so I think, I think um, we never would have started the business on our own mm. like I never would have taken the leap of faith right. on my own um, and Joe said probably said the same thing so I think it was either both of us together or nothing um, you know like we in our business we've you know we've got this we got our own roles as well um that we sort of you know i'm, I'm more so the operational you know um, bd front end sort of work um you know feasibility work whereas joseph's more you know um you know the managing of the staff and also you know um delivering the projects so you know we we, we complement each other um so i don't think if well. you're a risk taker and have a short i shouldn't say no not not, not so much a short temper no i don't but I don't know how you'll deal with staff if he's running staff. Exactly. You, your fuse will burn pretty quickly, <laughs> I reckon. Correct. Um, so let, let's, let's talk about that. I think, Joseph, it's important that when you talk about um, being brutally honest about the yep. short term, but I yep. think it's important that you remain um, optimistic about the long term because the short term, 100%, there's and, – and maybe keeping someone like John grounded and trying to maintain – you know, some level of patience. Mm. You got to be brutally honest in the short term, mm. and I think 
super optimistic yeah. uh, about the about the long term. Can we talk about? So you've you've got the business up and running now. Um, you uh, nine nine staff now in a, in a few years time. How do you then inspire people? How do you inspire your team to buy into the North Star, if you like? Because yes. no doubt everyone in your team has their own aspiration. Yeah. No one's going to have the same, precisely the same aspiration. And so one thing that I'm really curious about, how you then invest your time into your people, into your staff, because no doubt uh, without them, you'll burn out. You can't do totally. everything, right? Yeah. And so how do, you, how do you get the best out of your people? What, what do you do? And then how do you also get everybody together? Because everyone's got their own aspirations, but how do you get everybody together to work towards that, that one North Star? Because everyone needs to go in the same direction. Yeah. Even though everyone's got their own yeah. um, drivers and their own personal goals, yeah. how do you build that jigsaw piece puzzle together to create this really colourful vision that J2 want to head towards. Yeah. And everyone's bought into the damn thing. Yeah. It's not like you both have shoved this thing down no, their no. throat. Yeah. Everyone's bought in. Yeah. And um, look, it is t- uh, it's, it's a little bit tough at times, um, but when we're interviewing or when, when we started out, when we're interviewing, you know, for Do you do all that yourself or you do? Get, yeah. do. Um, but it's, it's hard because, you know, we are still a, a new business. We're, we're still sort of considered a startup, um, and there's and there's positives and negatives about that. But the positive is is that, that we are not bound to any structure. We're not bound to any um, sort of way of doing things. Um, and I think that sort of flexibility gives us um, gives the team a lot of scope to create their own sort of um, uh, aftershave or, or perfume on how they want to do it. Um, and constantly we remind them that, you know, um, you're in charge of a project that's worth X amount of millions of dollars. Um, you're in charge of a team. You've got to report to a client, but it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity where you can learn various things and you can deliver. Um, so you let them go? Totally. How, what, what controls do you put in place? I always think about it like bumper bowling. Yeah. Like... Put the bumpers on, yeah, and you can work. You can go as far left as you want, or far right yeah. as you want. Yeah, look, it's important that we, you know, we're we're always setting the expectation. Both John and I are saying, "Hey, listen, you know, if you if you're going to deliver this, I'll hand the keys over, but just don't scratch it. Make make make. You're going to make mistakes. That's good. You got to learn from them. Um, and we when we're in our, you know, mid to late twenties, we weren't sort of in charge with the amount of projects or, you know, these projects that our guys are delivering. Mm. Um, and we're like, well, it's a great opportunity. So, you know, here's, here's rope, here's leeway, go for it. We're here. You know, if you want our advice, we're here. But I want you to sort of own it, um, make mistakes, not too many, but make mistakes, learn from them. Um, and I think it's um, ensuring that, you know, when you do provide that level of trust to them, that, you know, that's reciprocated. Um, because you can't micromanage, and exactly. it's it's we've seen that in our previous lives of where you've been micromanaging. Yeah, it's oh, and it's not good, and it's not good. You know, it's not good because there you're second guessing everything. Um, do I, don't I, type mm. of thing? Do I call this person? Do I call the client? Mm. This, that, Can and I it's what, no one learns when they get micromanaged, right? Like you know, like we're problem solvers. That's what we are. And we, we don't profess to know everything, mm. we don't. You know, we're, we're learning every day. But, you know, we always say to our staff, we're always open. So if you need a hand with anything, 
come and talk to us or talk to a couple of our senior members of staff who, you know, got obviously, you know, years experience um, similar to us, um, worked in maybe various other sectors in different capacities, um, who may assist, right? We're, we're a collaborative sort of office. Um, but, you know, we always say, if you're going to come to us with a problem, give us five solutions as well. Like, what do you think? Don't, don't just come and ask us for the answer. Think about what the solution is. Yeah. Come to us with, you know, those solutions yeah. and then we'll tell you what's, what's the right direction and how to tackle it. You know, so. And I think, I mean, we're always telling him, look, if this was your money or if, your, if this was your house, what would you do? How would you react? And I think once you, when you do try, try and sort of, you know, ingrain that in their head that it's their own project, if it's their money, what would they do? They've got a different mindset. How do you instill the J2 way of things in your, in your people? Because um, you said before yeah. that it's the Tesla, it's the open the door, yeah. shut the door. Yeah. How, do you, how does everyone believe that and how does everyone buy into that? Uh, I'll say story, yeah. but don't take it in the way I'm saying yeah, it. But that, yeah, how does everyone buy into that? So, so it's by the way we carry ourselves. You know, it's presenting, you know, by the way we look, by the way we You're act. looking good today, by the Thank way. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Uh, but it's, it's just, just how – so we're, if we're representing um, millions of dollars for our client mm. to deliver this project – you want to make sure that you look and feel the part. Um, and um, why is that important? Why is what, how you look important? Because it's it's confidence for who? Totally. Yeah. Yourself. Why do you need to dress a certain way to feel confident? Well, why why do you wear a shirt and, and jacket with a nice little? I, I, I'm not professing to know what the answer is. I'm curious to see what you're. Oh, I think no. I think it's just you feel a certain way. It's like putting on your Superman. But do you think you Super- can feel that way without? You know, a materialistic thing. Yeah. Like, I'm wearing this jacket today. It's yeah. one of my favourite jackets. I feel good in it. Why is that? Uh, look, I just, I just, you just, um, I don't know what it is, but it's just our Superman sort of outfit. Um, and you know, constantly throughout the pandemic last year, when we were in lockdown, um, we were working from home. Yeah. But John and I were always wearing a shirt. Were you? Yeah. And, and well. Sure, the sure, odd sure, 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 down again, but yeah. um, but but it's always you're in that mode. Okay, I'm here to work, although it's from home. Um, I'm I'm here to manage a project. I've got to deliver upon my client. We've got to provide service, um, and constantly provide value. Um, and I think it's important. How do you how do you instill that into our clients, uh, into our staff? Um, I think it's just by them being near us, coming into the meetings. Un- listening, mm. listening is really important. Observing of how we do it, how we interact with our clients, yeah. our consultant teams, um, they understand how we uh, deliver and how we sort of, you know, gain that trust with our clients. So, do you find your staff mimic, start to mimic what you do? Yeah, it is. So, yeah, we've seen that, haven't we? Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty gratifying as well. <laughs> Why is it gratifying? Uh, because you never think that, uh, you know, because when they come in the door, when they. F- we had a couple of staff come in the door, um, little to none experience, just graduated from uni, mm. um, and now some of them have completed projects, some of them have, have, have managed to execute contracts with builders and clients. Mm. and On their and, own. On their own. On their own. Mm. And, it's, and, and you look at it and you think, wow, you know, they've, look at them, they're growing up, they're, they're, they're becoming mature, they're, they're understanding, they're observing, they're listening. So it's, it's, it, it is gratifying. So do you then, you know, there's this, a uh, question that people generally ask or topic that people talk about is, oh, you hire for skill, not attitude. Mm. 
Uh, no, you go to high for attitude, not skill. Like, do, no. do, you, do you guys have a point of view on yeah. that or not? Yeah, no, we do. I mean, um, you know, you obviously got criteria, selection criteria when, you know, um, people are coming in for an interview. And, you know, our number one always is company culture. Mm. That's the first thing we'll look at because, you know, if someone's coming in to interview for a PM role or a senior PM or a DM role, they're going to have the experience. They're going to have come from a background where they've worked on, you know, large projects for various tier one or tier two mm. firms, right? So so really for us, is, is, is this person a good fit for our company? That's number one. Um, and usually we can tell in the first five to 10 minutes about their attitude and whether mm. we think they're going to fit in with our team. Because as you know, you know, you can have, you know, if someone comes into the team that doesn't fit in, it can, you know, it can be a disaster. So, you know, that's, that's number one for us always. Um, but um, yeah, so... And how do you cut an interview short if you know in the first five minutes? Joseph knows how to do that. Um, I don't know. You can just sense it. He's not sense it. Where, no, no. I, I know when you know. Yeah. How do you how do you wrap it up? <laughs> oh, like you know, when when they start sort of doing the, the old head wobbling and me 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 I I I type of thing, and I haven't done their research on our company yeah. and what we're all about, um, then then I can pretty quickly pick up that you're not for us. Yeah. Um, and it's it's ensuring that, you know, I get the uh, – I don't know what it is, but I can just sense it yeah. with the second brain. Yeah, it's, it, it is interesting. There's the, the gut feel that a lot of people typically haven't put a lot of – placed a lot of value on. Yeah. But I think it's really important. Um, that noise that you're hearing now is jackhammers uh, on site. It the, is. The equipment has arrived. Yep, it is. And so where are we? West Melbourne? We're at West Melbourne. One of on our site, on the hotel projects. Yeah. And <laughs> the uh, workers have arrived. They're, they're late this morning. That's yeah. all right. Um, so can we, can we talk? So we talk about you, the business, we talk about um, staff. One thing we didn't talk about or maybe I didn't get really was how do you get everyone buying in on the vision? What do you do by to con- get? Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's by concept. So we're a team. Up, well, we're a couple of floors above you here, um, but we're 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 a we're a, we're a team, and it's always constantly reminding of, hey, this is where the company's heading. This is um, not our end goal, but this is what we're wanting to start to get into. Um, and it's always constantly reminding them that, hey, look, you know, this is part of your learnings. Mm. This is part of our growth, um, and eventually, in a couple of years' time, J two want to start doing our own developments. Um, so it's really ensuring that we're, you know, reminding them that this is not the be-all and end-all. This is just a learning. This is part of the process. This is a journey. Mm. Um, and how do we get the buy-in? Well, you know, they're, they're getting – our staff are getting – our team are getting exposed to a lot of um, different and interesting projects that they would, I believe, we believe, yeah. in other firms. Um, so we give them opportunity yeah. that they wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. Um and I think, so, I mean, I think it's important that what we say we're going to do, we do it. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, we're, we're targeting this project or we're targeting these big projects and then, you know, being able to, you know, um, commit to that and, and get on projects of that size. But, you know, a lot of our staff have been with us, you know, you know, the majority probably been with us for two, just over two years probably, you know, two to three years. So since we've started, and a lot of them have been with us and seen, seen the growth. The growth yeah. So, you know, mm. they've been with us in a little... Um, you know, tiny office to like obviously a larger office, and now we're looking for a new office again. And that'd be that'd be enjoyable for them to be oh, able to see. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. And like you know, every time you know we're in a new project or a larger project, like you know, you can see like they're excited and they can see the future. Mm. Um, you know, and so I think that's how they they buy they're buying into what we're we're trying to do. 
Mm. You know, um, so you know, and by doing that, we're giving them better opportunities as well. It's working mm. on larger projects, um, being exposed to that. Mm. So I think that that excites them. I'm really curious about a couple of things. One is I I read, uh, I, and you guys may or may not know, but there's a a project down on Collins Street at the moment. I don't know who's developing it, but um, maybe not specifically that project, but more conceptually, the way. Uh, Buildings are now being designed. They're very much taking into a post-COVID world, whatever that means. Touchless this, touchless that. Like, what's going on? What are you guys seeing as as you're starting to co- as you're coordinating and managing projects, and whatever's coming through the pipeline now? Because consumers and people wouldn't see a lot of this stuff. You'd be you'd be seeing it firsthand, right? Mm. What are you, what are you seeing that is very different to what was coming through and across your desks twelve months ago? I think, um, you know, to give you an example, we're our hotel project, we were even in the bathroom and soap dispensers and whatnot, that's all reverted to touchless. Um, so what does that mean? Well, that means additional costs. That means um, additional time to review and understand what that means for the design. Um, but from a, from a macro uh, perspective, from a commercial office point of view, um, we're not seeing many of those type of developments that we saw mm. 18 months ago um, come through, you know, and under, come through from a planning perspective. Um, so from an office point of view, that's that's sort of uh, taken a step or back. Yeah. Um, so that's that's really quite off. Yeah, it has. Well, it has, but I think I think probably the next six to 12 months, I think there's going to be a bit of a change in that mm. office space um, in terms of, you know, where you've got those large floor plates, you know, 1,000, 2,000 square metre floor plates, I think they'll actually start going back to, reverting back to what mm. we were doing, you know, 10 years ago with all the strata office. Because mm. obviously, you know, there's a lot of co- larger companies out there where they're reverting to, you know, 50% of the staff working from home, 50%. Mm. Um, and then obviously, you know, doing that sort of roster on, on and off sort of system. So, you know, and in saying that, they're going to need less, less office space now. Um, you know, so I think it's going to go back to, you know, those smaller office spaces. Um, so, I mean, it's yet to be seen, but I think that that's probably what will happen in sort of six to 12 months. Um, and I actually had the same example with the hotel, yeah. Touchless, so we're actually thinking the same thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a lot of all the other projects are like, you know, they're either in construction or in planning. So we sort of haven't seen sort of in that mm. design sort of sense yet. But, you know, we do have our um, our office project um, in South Yarra, which is still in planning. So, I mean, how, how big is that project? So that's uh, 17, 17 levels? 19. 19 levels. Right. 19 levels, but smaller floor plates. Yeah. So they'll, they'll be about... So is that, is that um, office? Yeah. Office, yeah. Office, right. So, you know, it's a little postage stamp site in South Yarra, so they're going to be like 330 square metre floor plates. So, you know, I think that sort of product, I think that stuff will fly out yeah. the door mm. because, you know, smaller companies like like ours, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that's the sort of space. And, you know, if you've got your own self-contained office... Obviously, you always prefer that over sharing a floor with someone else. Mm. So, but from a residential sense, though, Rob, it's um, it's it's there's larger floor plates, larger apartments, and and they are accommodating um, additional amenity within the apartments. In other words, mm. you're going to have a, a larger study area. Um, you're going to have you know facilities like um, gyms, more so in in apartments. You're going to have, um, and we're not going to see that in in commercial. You're not good. I, I don't believe. That's gonna. I think that's gonna take a, a little bit of a slower um, pathway than what we're seeing from a residential point of view. Mm. You know, um, we're seeing a lot of um, developments in 
the 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 verbs now in a sort of sure. you know, a lot of a lot of subdivision, a lot of townhouses. Um, so that's that's more and more prevalent. And why do you think that is? Well, from from COVID, people have realised that they can work anywhere uh, to a certain extent. So um, corporates are saying, well, you know, we're we're decreasing our office space. Um, we're happy for you to work three days or four days from home. Um, and people are taking the opportunity to say, well, I'd rather live out, you know, in a comfortable area mm. um, and then travel to... Not be geared up to the eyeballs, have a backyard. Yeah, have a backyard. Um, and how do, you, how do you think, how do you feel about that as an employer? You talk about a strong team culture. You yep. talk about, um, you know, turn around to the guy next to you or girl next to you and yep. have a chat about it. How, how do you feel about this? People want to work from home. And how do you build yep. that culture and that connection... Yep. A genuine connection when you sit down across a table with somebody. Yeah, it's 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 a little bit difficult um, to, I believe, create that connection. Both John and I, we were, we were we were sort of you know September October of last year, August, we were sort of coming in a couple of days a week in the office and yeah. and um, and working from there because um, it's just we we're our, our industry is uh, you know it's it requires a lot of turning around. Looking at plans, pinpointing, yep. highlighting, yep. Uh, troubleshooting details, um, looking at programs, budgets, etc. Uh, and it, and it, it's just you know it's more collaborative. Um, other industries, are, you know, IT for instance, not sure. Sure. Yeah. You know, you can work from home. You know, it's um, but it's a little bit different. Um, I mean, all, all our staff was chopping at the bit to get back. Yeah. Like everyone wanted to get back, and you know, we're we're, we're a small family. You know, like we see our staff. More than we see our own families, hundred percent. Right? Yeah, um, we obviously agree to that. Um, so you know, and they were they, they were wanting to come back last year, but obviously you know mm. the circumstances couldn't do that. But um, yeah, mm. and so uh, so we talk about office, talk about um, residential. Um, I'm curious to to know. Are people doing? People are obviously doing development. Otherwise, you wouldn't be <laughs> doing what you're doing. You wouldn't be flat out as you are, because a lot of people that I've talked to and and headlines that you read is things have slowed down, everything's yep. fallen off the cliff, yep. and this, that, and the other. Um, uh, talking to uh, the MD of Metricon Homes the, the other uh, the other day, they're they're talking about hitting record yep. annual uh, sales and builds yep. of houses. And so if you listen to the headlines, uh, even last year and even this year, mm. um, the, the headlines don't really match no, or the predictions don't really match what's happening on, on the ground, right? Not at all. And so I'm curious to understand from your client perspective, what's going on? What's happening in, in the market? Are people developing? What are they developing? Yeah. Uh, you know, you talk about bigger floor space in yeah. Resi less floor space in commercial. Like, Can you just give us some yep. insight into what you guys are seeing because you're seeing it before it goes to market? Yeah, and and I think fundamentally we can't travel overseas. That's right. Um, yet. Yet. Uh, so what does that mean for, for the population? We're getting a lot of stimulus from um, federal yep. and state governments. Um, we're from a, from a, a financing home loan Perspective, um, you know, the interest rates are all time low, mm-hmm. um, and you know, we're we're seeing Melbourne now has reached its highest median price uh, price point of a million dollars just recently. Yep. Um, so, but that's bullshit. What does that even mean? So, what that means is is that 
there's there's a lot of there's a lot of buyers now, a lot of people who are who are cash rich, who have got who are, no. But I mean, the median price hitting a yeah, million dollars. What? Yeah. That doesn't mean anything. Well, it does because you know that's uh, from a from a um, a suburbs point of view. Um, but is that an Australian statistic? That's a Victorian. That's a Victorian statistic. Correct. But that statistic takes into account the ten million dollar house in Hawthorne, oh. the one bedroom. Oh yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, there's some suburbs where there was more than like yeah. twenty or whatever. I don't know what the what the um, what the point is. I think it's like forty or fifty. I think something like that. So there were a couple of suburbs that were obviously under that, but there were there were probably the majority were over like whatever fifty sales in that suburb. Yeah. Right? So. I mean, I guess it just gives you know. There's, there's more confidence. You know, yeah. it's, it just puts the confidence back in the market. Yeah. Right? People, uh, people are spending. They, 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 there's an enormous amount of uh, cash that they've that they're sort of reserving um, based on this the the one in one hundred year event that we experienced last year, um, and you know now they they're wanting to either buy an investment or or, or move out of the shop, the existing home, and buy in a different different area. And I, yeah, and I think I mean what we're seeing a lot of is a lot of the downsides of stuff you now. Yep. Occupy so larger apartments in those you know, um, you know affluent suburbs. You know where you got you know elderly people, their kids have left home, and you know now they want to move into an apartment. But you know you're talking three hundred square meter apartments, so it's pretty much like their home, and they can customize things, etc. So we're seeing more of that. You know, but with us, like you know, we we don't like to pigeonhole ourselves into a, you know yeah. a certain sector. We like to sort of you know sprawl out and diversify. You know, we just last year we got our um, our accreditation, so we got all our quality OHS and environmental accreditation, so that we can start pitching for government work. Oh, okay. Realizing, you know, there's a lot of stimulus, yeah, you know, federal and, and state yep. governments, so yep. we're like, let, let's try and tap into that. You know, so we're, we're working, we're working on that, working on that. So yeah, what that we can convert a few projects. And what that means is, you know, that we want to try and sort of understand. Well, you know, people aren't traveling; they're moving around, they're investing in their own country. Mm-hmm. So that means. Um, there's going to be more and more developments um, from either up north or various areas of Melbourne. Or so you're confident that the whole development concept will continue. It's just going to evolve uh, slightly differently to what it was. Yeah. But people are going to continue to, to build, continue to develop, and people are going to continue to buy. Yeah. One of the things I, wrote, I just wrote down, Joseph, as you yeah. were speaking, yeah. uh, you were talking about a number of things, government stimulus, yeah. low interest rates, yeah. and things like that. So I'm... I'm and I sort of categorise that as driving forces mm. to support uh, this particular industry. Mm. Uh, what do you think are the primary driving forces over and above the government stimulus and the and the interest rates? And then what do you think the biggest risks are at the moment? Because all those driving forces create pockets of risks somewhere else, mm. right? And who knows when they, what they are and when they're going to pop, but they certainly do. So I'm curious from... Your perspective when you start to look at these things, do feasibility and, and all the things that you do before you take on a project, what are the driving forces and what are the risks that you guys are seeing right now? I think the driving forces um, from a, um, a development sense, um, as an example, if we were to do a boutique development in a certain area, what are the driving forces that are going to improve that development from a sellable perspective sure. is the amenity around it. Um, we're seeing a lot of stimulus from a government point of view that, you know, um, whether it be train or... or um, so sort of infrastructure, infrastructure works. works. Yeah. So that, that there at schools. Um, so there's a lot of um, benefits of 
um, that you know developers are seeing that they want to do a development in around that sort of that infrastructure. So if the government starts targeting a particular area, yeah, you're saying naturally what you find is though as developers are following, of course, that uh, I guess where they say where they yeah. smoke this fire, yeah, they follow that and they start to develop there. Yeah, definitely. Okay, definitely. But I um, think I mean I think infrastructure is a driving force and a risk. Yeah, how so? Well, you know, if you're creating a new suburb or, you know, you've got a suburb which has now got multiple apartment developments, you're going to obviously have more people living in that area. And if you haven't got the infrastructure to support that, obviously that's going to be a problem, right? So, um, you know, that's not only here. That's obviously in other states as well. You know, like where, you know, um, for example, Brisbane, you know, they're, they're, um, they're, they're, uh, they're pitching to host the 2032 Olympics, and it looks like they're probably going to get that. You know, that's going to get announced, I think, in July. So, you know, there's, you can't think of any other host city in the world apart from a city in Australia, especially with COVID, etc., that can probably cope with, you know, obviously hosting the Olympics. Mm. So I think they'll get that. But I mean, they're going to and they're going to have those issues as well. You know, like I mean, and not only the Olympics, but you know, Queensland, everyone's there's a lot of migration up there now, mm. um, due to COVID. Yeah, that's more, right. More holiday makers up there as well. So you know, they're, they're and they're coming from Victoria, New South Wales. Exactly. Yeah. So I think you know, I think they're going to have issues as well with infrastructure. But I mean, you know, they're they're obviously putting. Um, Things in place at the moment to obviously fix that. You know, they got. I think they got a tunnel project in Brizzy now as well that they're they're working on. Um, and I mean, I think the other risk as well, Joe, is probably construction costs. Oh, you know, totally. They're, they're, What's going on with that? Well, I was talking when I was talking to to, to Ross yeah. from Metricon. Yeah, he was saying that the co- and my question was, is the is the cost of construction actually going up? Because you look at data it doesn't suggest over long periods of time that that's been happening for a long time yeah but he, he he's saying it's just literally blowing out yeah you can't get timber no. you can, labor's costing you a truckload more yeah. yeah and it's actually when you talk about construction it's not only the cost it's not only the products to build the damn thing but it's the people it's the surveyors totally. it's, that's right. totally. it's it's that domino effect yeah and and you know what we're seeing now i mean another um another example is that what we were sort of banking on our hotel project, we were looking to uh, procure um, some of the materials over in China. Right. Um, and, you know, you can get a lot of efficiencies um, from doing that. But um, builders are now saying, well, we can't now because there's a long lead time. So, in other words, the program will be blown out. Um, it's it's going to be a little bit more costly because there's tariffs that have been introduced. Um so we're going to have to revert to a local manu- supply and installer. Um, and that increases um, the costs on projects quite considerably. Um, and we're going to see more and more of that type of thing, but more so from a sand and cement, concrete. You know, these things um, are, you know, they're, they're, they're a, a high sort of, you know, they're, they're a high demand commodity. Um, but do they have the product? Do they have the... Do they do they have stock? Where in, in here in Australia? Oh, they do, but it's it's uh, you know there's there's a lot of upcoming projects or projects that are sucking that up. Um, you know, case in point, the tunnel, yeah, the metro right. tunnel. You know, the the amount of concrete and, and reinforcement steel that is being um, absorbed by that project is incredible. Um, and so, that's having a flow on effect to everybody else that, that, well, that's, that's right, doing yeah. exactly lead times, etc. You know, yeah. projects out. You know, obviously then prelims end up increasing because obviously, you know, builders are going to be out on site for longer. So, you know, we're, we're starting to see that. Um, Does that impact the feasibility of a project 
and make it either go ahead or not go ahead when, you're, when you've got new projects now? It does, yeah. um, but we factor in a, um, right. a line item that has cost es- escalation to it. Right. Generally, it's you know, 2 to 3.5% to, to factor that in. Um, and you know, in contracts, you have a rise and fall. So you know, if things increase, labour, material, you, you can accommodate for that. Um, but you know, it, that is a factor. That's a, certainly a risk. Mm. And so if we, um, one final question I have for you guys is, if we're 12 months down track from where we are today, knowing what you know now, what does the landscape look like in, in development? I mean, we're, we're, I think we're quite positive. We think it's going to, um, I mean, I think with, with Melbourne, I think it's sort of just going to be sort of in this cruise sort of control. Um, that's why, you know, we're, we're looking elsewhere at the moment. Like, you know, we're, we're looking up north um, with projects up, up in Queensland. Um, so, you know, we're, we've we been travelling up there, um, obviously, every two, three weeks, trying to work around, obviously, all the lockdowns and permit systems, sure. et cetera. Um, but, you know, there's, there's plenty of opportunity up there. Um, so, you know, we're, we're hope, hopefully, um, we're hoping to, you know, pick up some, some projects up yeah. there. And, you know, so that's where we're looking. And obviously here locally, you know, we're looking more at the, the government type projects. Mm. Um, and obviously just continuing doing what we're doing here, you know, just, uh, mm. you know, servicing our existing client base, um, trying to get repeat um, projects from them. Um, and I guess just, you know, providing a good service. Joseph, do you have anything to add? To yeah, same, same um, opinion of that. But I think it's more so adopting, hopefully within the 12 months, federal government, state governments can, can um, you know, adopt a system where we can start sort of bringing in international students back into the sector, into our country. Um, you know, they, they, uh, that international um, student sector provides a lot of stimulus for our company, mm. uh, for our company, but also for our country. Um, so it's ensuring that the, the universities and, and all that and, and all these international students, you know, from a cafe perspective and their, their and the, the work arrangement, the nuclear that happens as a result of mm. students arriving, um, that's that's certainly one area that we need to sort of start sort of focusing on um, because, you know, um, we're finding even um, in, uh, overseas investment is another thing as well, John. Yeah. Is that coming back? Sort of, not mm. really. Um, it is it is slowly coming back, but it's it's um, it's you know the amount of um, red tape and whatnot that has been implemented, um, and plus, you know, it's it's uh, it's pretty. We're, we're not seeing much inquiry from the overseas market, um, so you know, hopefully that improves. Um, but you know, it's all it's all. We're a lucky country here, though, Rob. In saying that, we're we're you know. We're, we're blessed to be here. Mm. So I think, um, well, not I think, uh, politicians were getting hammered six months ago. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and here we are now. Uh, and it's difficult to see, you know, pop your head over the fence and look, uh, look out into mm. the distance when yeah. you're in and amongst it. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but we sort of sit here now, you know, we're, we're, in, we're, we're in town right now. Um, you don't have to wear masks no. too often. Jack but you're reading, hey? Jack Hammers. Outside. Jackhammers outside, so government is spending money, which That's is good. Um, but then you look overseas, uh, and you've got you know issues still going on. That's right with with COVID, and Australia, people talked about, um, and Scott Keck said this. I never forget. People talk about uh, no one wanting to travel, but 
what it appears is more people want to now come to Australia. Exactly. Even more so from before. And it's it's sort of like the same story to some extent, mm. uh, you know, the classic lucky country from yeah. five years that we've been talking about for the last five years. Yeah. But it kind of adds to that. Uh, the, the less density we have compared to a London and no. uh, New York, for example, um, th- there is education is obviously really important. I think, yeah. I think governments know that. I think yeah. it's, not, it's not a secret that immigration and migration is a big boost for our, yeah. our economy. So I, I don't disagree. I think for all those reasons, uh, I think it's going to take time. Yeah, it is. Uh, but it sounds like you guys are pretty optimistic about yeah. where we're at now, yeah. what you're seeing. Um, and people that I speak with, uh, most people are pretty optimistic, and we are seeing that in a lot of the data and statistics that are coming through uh, as well. Inevitably, what happens when people get too optimistic uh, is that people get um, too optimistic, and things start to things start to blow out, and yeah. we push the envelope a little bit, and well, that's right. And then there's a little blow up, and then we we kind of start again. No, boys, look, thank you so much for, for today. Uh, I think th- there's more questions I have about the insights that you're getting, but maybe we'll, we'll take that another time. But thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. No bro. problem. Thanks, thanks for Cheers, mate. Yeah.